Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And we're brought to you by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management. Now, if you're listening for the first time, we try to um, advise you of what's going on, give you some information on how you can avoid making mistakes that people before you have made in business. We do everything we can to assist entrepreneurs to um, be successful. And the same in our consulting business. We're all about helping entrepreneurs to create the right business models, to create create the right business plans, marketing strategies to um, secure joint ventures or to raise funds, and it's all about trying to help other people succeed. I've had a great career, and uh, I enjoy helping other people succeed. Last week, we spoke about the um, biggest issue that entrepreneurs face and that's raising funds. Um, you know, it's hard to finance startup and early stage businesses. And the majority of young companies that I speak to go and look up venture capital companies first. Whereas the reality of funding, it's really quite different. For example, last year, 53,000 companies were funded with seed capital. That's 53,000. But only 3,000 companies were funded by venture capital, of which two-thirds were follow-up investments. So really only a 1,000 um, companies were, um, were funded by venture. So you need to go out and look for those independent investors. You know the guys that um, invest a few hundred thousand or maybe a couple of million that are private investors, and uh, they're the ones you need to be looking for. So why should an investor invest in startups? Well, because they can re- produce returns of five to a hundred times your investment. And, you know, that's, I'm in a couple of investment funds where you make, you know, 10% or maybe 15% on your money. Uh, um, but, um, you know, a thousand bucks invest in Facebook in 2005 would be worth 624000 and 624 four times your money and a thousand dollars invested in Airbnb just four years ago would be worth about six hundred thousand dollars that's six hundred times your money so that's the reason that you should put um, some of your funds into startups but the appeal of a startup is it's not only about getting a great return but it's about being able to be part of something great, enjoying a really cool experience. And if you can add value and have the opportunity of working closely with the founders, well, that's really cool. And you can learn stuff and, and they can learn stuff. And uh, you're also investing in job creation and capital formation. And even though it's not easy to pick winners – it's crucial to conduct the appropriate due diligence on the business. You know, you really need to look at the market, their competitors, and have a look at the experience of the founding 
members. Um, and what other risks are there? Are there likely to be any regulatory risks? You know, regulations change all the time. So um, it's worth having a good look at. And financial experts recommend that every investor have 15% of their portfolio invested in early stage and startup companies. Now, unfortunately, that isn't what happens. But you think if every investor out there had 15% of their portfolio invested in early stage companies, wow, we would have an economy that would roar. One of the problems that we all have, and I know I do, is um, trying to come up with subject lines that will get our emails opened. You know, most of our emails, we get um, MailChimp tells us, you know, where we're at with, um, with getting our, our emails open, and it, it's hard. So I saw during the week that emails with the word alert in the subject line have a 38% higher than average open rate and a 62% higher click rate. So that's pretty good. And keywords like free delivery has got a 51% higher open rate and a 135% um, higher click rate. And a bulletin, for example, 16% higher open rate and a 13% higher click rate. Uh, on the other hand, report and learn had a significantly lower open rate and click rate. Newsletter showed a marginal effect on open rates but had a 20% adverse effect on click rates. As for date-related keywords... Daily had a very positive effect on both open rates and click rate, and weekly also performed strongly. But monthly had a negative effect on both open rate and click rate. So that gives you an idea of some of the words that will work. Now, Apple this week had some disturbing news. Um, it's acknowledged that it is the ability to extract personal data, including text messages, contact lists, and photos from iPhones. So the same techniques that circumvent backup encryption could be used by law enforcement and others with access to the trusted computers to which these devices have been connected. These services, they take a surprising amount of data for what Apple now says are diagnostic services meant to help engineers. We're not notified that these services are running and we can't disable them. So there's no way for iPhone users to know what computers have previously been granted trusted status via the backup process or block future connections. So many people think it's evidence of um, Apple collaboration with the National Security Agency, although Apple denies this. Apple said they've designed iOS so that its diagnostic functions don't compromise either privacy or security, but they still provide needed information for enterprise IT departments, developers, and Apple for troubleshooting technical issues. But we all know that since these tools exist, law enforcement will use them in cases where the desktop computers of targeted individuals can be confiscated or hacked or or reached via their employers. You know, law enforcement will take advantage of every legal tool that they've got. And this 
today with the um, all the potential for terrorism, I'm not sure whether law enforcement having this access is good or bad. I know a lot of the um, um, civil liberties people will say it's bad, but um, if I've got a choice between law enforcement tapping somebody's phone and getting blown to bits on a street corner, I know which one I will take. Technology, you know, technology is moving so quick. I, I was speaking at a conference over the weekend, and technology is moving so quickly that it's really hard to keep up, and it's it's almost impossible to keep up with new inventions. You know, on the ground, uh, Tesla's changed our perception of motor vehicles, and I think you know the best car that's ever ever been invented, and it's a whole new era of cars. However. Parajet's now taking orders for its new flying car, and they're not the only ones. There's several. Now, I suspect there's going to be a hell of a lot of regulatory issues before we actually see flying cars all over the city. But if you've got $137,000, you can purchase a flying car right now. Now, they began enticing customers at the Farnborough Air Show in England earlier this month, and um, they're not the only people making cars. And some of them look really cool. So you can drive along the freeway, and just when you realise you're running late and the traffic's backed up, you just take off. How cool is that? So the flying car that anyone can order, it's a third-generation vehicle. Its original predecessor flew and drove successfully from the UK to Africa. Testing in Nevada is currently underway for the most recent model. The car can reach 115 miles an hour on the ground and then can take off and fly for three hours. (laughs) I love it. And in the unlikely event of an engine or a wing failure, the plane car simply floats softly to the ground on its paraglider or on a reserve chute. Now, Bear Grylls, the celebrity adventurous, reportedly flew one of these flying cars over Mount Everest. Now, that's according to Bloomberg. Now, I'm not sure if I want to fly over Mount Everest in a car, but I'd certainly love to dodge the traffic on the 405 heading home from downtown LA. some, Some other news came out this week that actually quite surprised me. Um, In the first quarter of 2014, 198 million US consumers bought something online. Now, that's 78% of the population, 15 and above. 198 million people shopping online. That's incredible. But the surprise is, who's driving this trend of buying online and on mobile devices? And retailers need to know this. in order to market to them effectively. The conventional wisdom, you know, we've heard this forever, is that women drive shopping trends. They control 80% of household spending. However, when it comes to e-commerce, men drive as much spending online as women do. With the explosion in the use of smartphones, we need to note that men are more likely to make purchases on mobile devices. (coughs) Excuse me. I've got a bit of a cold, so that's why my voice is a bit funny today. And I'm sitting here 
sipping lemon tea, but it doesn't seem to be helping a great deal. Um, 57% of women made a purchase online in 2013 compared to 52% of men, but 22% of men made purchases on their smartphones compared to only 18% of women. And I guess it's not a surprise that millennials, you know, those 18 to 34-year-old, remain the key age demographic for online commerce. And they spend more than any other group. And the incredible thing is they spend around $2,000 a head annually on e-commerce. Now, um, considering that the average income in America is about 51000 a year, and uh, presumably millennials earn less than that, but let's say they earn 35000 a year, $2,000 um, a year still isn't a huge percentage, but it's getting up there. One in four mobile shoppers in the US is over 55. So one in, one in four mobile shoppers in the United States is over 55. That's incredible. Now, online shoppers tend to live in households with higher than typical incomes. 55% of e-commerce shoppers living in households with incomes above $75,000. Excuse me. Let me ask you a question. Do you happen to know who Sean Mendes is? I didn't either. So you're not on your own. So... I guess 90% of you sitting out there are going to say, Sean Mendes, never heard of him. But get this, the 15-year-old, he's got a strong following on Vine, you know, that's the video um, sharing platform. He released his first album on Saturday night. Now, thanks to his loyal fans, Mendes rose to the number one spot on iTunes in just 37 minutes. He tweeted his fans, urging them to support him. Meanwhile, his hashtag became Twitter's top trending topic as his followers rallied in support. He bumped the Aussie group, Five Seconds of Summer, down to the number two slot. A great story, this. Mender, he got his start posting a 6-7 clip of Bieber's As Long As You Love Me, which went viral, and he got... 10,000 likes and tons of followers almost instantly. Then on Saturday night, he went from zero to hero in 37 minutes with his new album. Jeez, that really really demonstrates the power of the internet, doesn't it? And, you know, I was a recording artist 50 years ago or something, a lot of years ago, and um, we used to have our records in the stores and you'd run around all the radio stations and you'd have to beat them over the head to get them to play it and then people would have to go into a shop and they'd have to buy the records. It would take quite a bit of a germination period before sales picked up. Now, 37 minutes. It was also reported just this morning that the iWatch may be delayed until 2015. Apple supplier TPK, which is reportedly building parts for Apple's upcoming smartwatch, has revised its predictions of a profit spike in the third quarter, pushing that surge back at least three months. And this probably means that the Apple iWatch is suffering from delays. The smartwatch, likely to be called the iWatch or the iBand, was expected to be unveiled in October, 
but um, it's unclear what aspect of production is causing a problem. But it does fall in line with earlier report from uh, KGI securities analyst Ming-Chi Ku, who said Apple would push production of its iWatch back to at least November. The iWatch is said to feature a slap bracket. Start again. The iWatch is said to feature a slap bracelet design that conforms to one's rich wrist. God. Including sensors to measure and track one's biometric data. It'll connect to other nearby mobile devices and it will run on Apple's latest mobile operating system, which is the iOS 8. I'm having trouble today, aren't I? I'm struggling with this flu. Um, You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, brought to you by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management. We're here to assist entrepreneurs to become successful. So if you've got a question about any aspect of business please email me here at bob at bobpritchard.com. Ask me any question that you like and we'll answer it on air or we'll email you directly um, off air. Also, let me know who you'd like me to interview. Um, I try to find people that are really interesting to interview, but if you've got somebody in particular that you think you'd like to hear from, um, please let me know. Now, after the break, I'm going to be talking to my guest, Tony Engberg from uh, Pink Zulu Labs. Now, Tony just lives up in Santa Barbara. He's a great guy and he's had 35 years, actually more than 35 years, of experience and leadership in driving profitable business growth and he's helped companies transform and disrupt in this um, rapidly changing digital world. He's a Hewlett Packard veteran ending a 23-year HP career as a general manager of an organization focused on creating transformative internet solutions for their enterprise customers. He went on to become vice president of software for Eastman Kodak and working with um, Jeffrey Hazlett, who's a great friend of this program. Hi, Jeffrey. I hope your um, new um, television show is going well. Tony's now CEO of a very exciting company called Pink Zulu, and we're going to find out what Pink Zulu's all about after this break. Um, interestingly, Pink Zulu's also working with um, CQS Kiziguro. It's a terrific new insurance company that's focused on emerging economies. I love this company, and um, I'm planning on having William Nebrega, who's the CEO of the company, on the show in the next few weeks. He's um, busy running around... Um, Brazil and Asian countries um, working on this project, and I look forward to speaking to him on the show in the next couple of weeks, maybe three weeks. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. We're brought to you by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management, and I will be back with Tony in just a moment. Do you want the world to know you're a force to be reckoned with? If so, you must join the American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management, America's foremost accreditation institute. You'll be amazed at how AISMM can open doors that you can't. Increase your prestige and influence. Add the letters AISMM after your name. Apply now. Go to AISMM.org. Again, that's AISMM.org. 
Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. And we're brought to you by the American Institute for Sales, Marketing, and Management. And welcome also to the segment of the show where we interview successful entrepreneurs. You know, people who think outside the box, people who have been there and been through all the challenges and the trials and the tribulations of being an entrepreneur. Being an entrepreneur is fun and it uh, gives you a lot of freedom, but it's bloody hard work and you face a lot of obstacles. So the more we can learn off people who have been through the um, early stages of business and have made themselves successful, the better. And one of the other things I'd just like to mention while I'm on it is how important it is. Now, if you're in business, no matter what sort of business you are, and particularly if you're an entrepreneur, you need to surround yourself with mentors. The more people you can get around you that have experience across a a wide range of disciplines and can assist you and are not yes men. You want people who will say, that idea stinks if it does, not people who are trying to get into your good books. But the more mentors you can get and the more you listen to people and the more you bounce your ideas off people, the better your business and yourself is going to be. So what we do in this segment is we try to find out what makes these successful people tick so we can learn what made the, what's made them successful because we can all learn from the experiences of successful entrepreneurs. Tony Engberg is the CEO of Pink Zulu Labs. I'm speaking to him. He's up in Silicon Valley and he brings more than 35 years of experience and leadership in driving profitable business growth to the company and uh, we often talk about this too this is you know business is not about having a great product because unless you sell somebody something you don't have a business and uh, Tony's great at selling people stuff and driving business growth and he's got a strong history in helping companies transform and disrupt in this rapidly changing digital world he grew up at Hewlett-Packard where he held a variety of global leadership positions in R&D and service and support. Eventually, after 23 years there, can you imagine spending 23 years at Hewlett-Packard? 
God, stress. Anyway, he became the general manager of an organization focused on creating transformative internet solutions for HP enterprise clients. Tony had a number of high-power senior executive and technology roles before coming to Pink Zulu. Tony's been a founder, a board member, an advisor of several successful international startups and is a founding partner of Kelly and Tech LLC, a technology consultancy. Hi, Tony. How are you? I'm good, Bob. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, okay. My first question's got to be, where did the name Pink Zulu come from? Did somebody sort of wake up at <laughs> 2 o'clock one morning and go, I've got it! Aha! And uh, and yeah. epiphany, no, there, it's Pink Zulu. <laughs> yeah, there there are several stories about where that came from, and uh, this will give away my age to a degree, but I guess 23 years at Hewlett-Packard gave away my age to a degree. Um, <laughs> yeah, as a sure. child of the 60s and 70s rock music scene, uh-huh. um, Good. you know, but the, the story I like the best is Pink Zulu is an emotive name similar to Iron Butterfly and the types of rock band names that went into play uh, during that era. And uh, we, we've kept that name because it really does tend to cause people to sit up and go, I don't know what that means. I'd like to know more about it, but it feels really interesting. I love it. I think it's a great, I think it's a great name. Um, so how did it start? Uh, well, that, that's, a, that's a question that gets really uh, close to home for you, I think, to some degree, Bob. Um, our founder was a gentleman, his name was Kaz Hashimoto, who was one of the early open source software company um, CEOs. Right. Uh, and, and Kaz was, it was an extremely successful uh, enterprise that was sold when the consolidation happened, and uh, Kaz took his fortune right. and went off. And at one point, he, um, he was in Sydney. Okay. He was in Sydney uh, on a fly fishing expedition, spending part of that fortune with a Sydney fly fishing tours. And a, he, the, the proprietor, a gentleman named Justin Duggan, expressed a problem to Kaz. His issue was he didn't know how to capture and send images, photos from the, the boats while the people were fishing that right. were really grabbers, pro quality, and that could be loaded into the website and his customers could email to their friends right then, right at the moment of capture. How long ago were we speaking? Uh, we're talking back three years now. Okay, okay. Reasonably right, recently. Which, right. Yeah, but, but so that's an important question because you know one of the issues is there's been a lot of motion here. It's one yeah. of the things you and I both know is how fast and rapidly things move. Yeah. Um, Justin was faced with two. Uh, you know, there, there was the, the people on Justin's boat and who fished with him, and and also Justin was faced with one of two options. I can take an acceptable photo now using a mobile phone. Right. Can't really edit it or only do some light editing, and then I can push it out right now, or I have to wait till I get back. You know, take my DSLR, whatever camera I'm using, take it to the computer, edit it, and then I can push it out. But I've lost that in-the-moment experience, that feeling that I want to communicate with it, and, um, you know, the workflow is, is, is a pain in the neck. Yep. Kaz sat back, looked at this, 
and being a problem solver. Uh, and you, you and I both know how important being a problem solver is yep. to being an entrepreneur. Uh, I've heard you speak about that. He sat <laughs> back and said, you know, we've got to get high quality in the moment. How do we do that? And he immediately started to hack a solution that involved putting into the phone capabilities that would allow editing, fairly you know, advanced editing, that would uh, allow integration of Wi-Fi from a DSLR if somebody was taking high-quality yeah. photos to upload to the phone immediately so it could be transferred, making it so... The editing was lossless, and you know you could you could transfer really good pictures without being worried about you know what had happened to earlier uh, copies of them. Right. Um, and he provided that to uh, to Justin. Justin started to use it as people as he used it as Kaz thought about it. Uh, a beta group was put together, a, a group of people who shared passions and could play with this, and that started. There were a bunch of tests, a lot of experimentation went on, and there were some major discoveries from that that actually ultimately led to the Pink Zulu we have today. So where are you now? What have you got now? Um, well, at the moment, we are t- t- today... I, I don't know if my voice sounds relaxed, but today we've <laughs> launched our first global product. Right. Uh, we've just pushed it out uh, this morning, actually, on on uh, the iPhone. We've, we're at a point where we're providing people with the ability to take pictures, remix them, uh, share them, tell stories based on them. And that's... That's the initial platform we needed to get out there so that we could enable people globally to start experimenting with this, playing with this um, integrated solution, this platform, sharing things, and uh, get into a, a position where we can ultimately pursue our framing vision, which is around um, visual literacy. Right. For the planet, which is, I know, uh, sounds somewhat esoteric, but it's something that's rapidly building. It's a concept that's rapidly building. So that, that, it's kind of a cute story from, um, from fly fishing to um, being able to um, edit and get things out on the fly. There's some sort of connection there, I guess. Um, the mobile and social photo app space, that's pretty crowded. I, I mean, I see things all the time along similar lines. There seems to be a lot of development in that area. So what sets you guys apart? Are you just ahead of the curve or have you got um, some protections that um, enable you to do things that other people are not going to be able to do? Yeah, so this is an area where um, it, it really is an area where we have to be careful with our story. People look at us and they go, they they ask the, the very question you just asked. If if you think of us as a um, digital uh, photo editing tool, yeah, you know that market. There's a ton of of entrants in that market who are out there, and um, 
they, I personally believe we could have an interesting conversation about this, but I personally believe that, that there's uh, consolidation coming in that space. Oh, we're, sure. we're not about editing, just plain editing. Yes, we, we provide an editor at this point, but that piece of the market has moved on by. Um, and we're not just about social media. Right. That's another piece. What, what we really have is a is a very integrated solution that looks at the three converging trends of the importance of images and the improvements in mobile editing that need to take place. We integrate that very in a very straightforward fashion with the ability to share and collaborate with only those people you want to share and collaborate with around the concept of a story. Right. Think of that as a thread that, you know, you can you can bring some set of individuals who you wish to work with and only those individuals and on that one story you can all work together and share. Um so editing, yeah, crowded. Social, not so much. Social tends to be cluttered, very noisy, very diffuse. It tends to be person-centric. It, it tends to uh, not be controlled in terms of the audience that can play there. You know, you, you either share with everybody or nobody. Expression in the moment doesn't happen, and the editing tools don't let you have that expression in the moment, nor do they let you have that tying together uh, a group of friends in a story that will persist over time. Um, there's, you know, we, we, we look at a, a range of differentiating items, and we believe we differentiate both in the kind of control we give people, we differentiate in terms of the technology we make available, we differentiate in terms of uh, the ability to really create and communicate around um, very different professional grade images. Okay. Um, Can we just step back one little bit? Yeah. Um, the story concept. Um, can you just give me like an example? Just, I must admit I'm having a little bit of trouble in my head just sort of getting a picture of how that story concept works. Can you give us just sort of a, an example that I can, so I can better get a handle on it? Sure. Um, think of a story as an as a uh, an event uh, or uh, some particular passion you have that you share with other individuals. Right. Okay. All right. You can create within Pink Zulu something called a story. You. And you can't do this with with these other, with you know most of the other packages or, that are out there today. Actually, there's only one I know that does this in even any kind of similar fashion. Right. Um, the rest are all one size fits all kind of approaches. People want to take these stories, it, be it a, you know, I'm interested in freshwater fishing. Yes. Um, I'm interested in. Uh, this particular soccer league. I'm interested in you know, pick pick the the area that that you want to. My daughter's wedding, even. Yep. Um, you create the stories within Pink Zulu, and then P 
people start taking pictures and they put them into this story. They put them in, in a, as the, as events happen, my daughter's an aerobatics pilot. She goes up in a plane. She takes wild pictures as she goes. She comes back down and, you know, here's, here's the pictures from this flight. And, you know, here's what went on and the people who went with her contribute their photos or they edit the photos she puts in. People pull out of the images that get posted in in the course of this editing and remixing what they felt, what they saw. They add comments. Other people can comment on them. But only the people who were engaged, who she's chosen to be authors who can contribute content, their own images, or subscribers who can comment but not contribute uh, content, they're the only ones who can play in in that sandbox. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so what's the impact of the collaborative editing and remix on the on the value proposition of Pinkzilla? Um, this is one of the surprises that we had. So, you know, we wind up with this, which sounds like a very straightforward thing. Take pictures wherever you are, capture immediate in-the-moment emotion. Yep be able to really spiff them up and sh- ship them to somebody else. Um, that, that's, that all sounds good. Yep. Sounds fun, but you know, the technology doesn't sound wild, but at the time this was done, it's, it's new and it's, it's a way to capture people's interest. Yep. What we found though, over time was that allowing people to remix one another's images was incredibly powerful. I, 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 I know I stress the word incredibly, I'm, but I'm not trying to sell something here. It was a shock for me. And I spent yeah. time at, I spent quite a bit of time at Kodak. Um, people are able when they remix to reveal insights they get from an image and, and the other person didn't. And people are surprised at how, oh, here, here's my picture. I'm surprised you were looking at it that way. I'm surprised that you chose to emphasize this part. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can see that. It it actually contributes to to the the, the viral growth of, of it. And and the other thing we discovered in the course of all that was, uh, I surprised myself. I'll remix a picture that my daughter's done, and then I'll find myself going back a week later and saying, huh. I bet if I did this, it would look even cooler. Or, you know, what if I did, who's that guy in the back seat of the plane looking at my daughter? It's, it's that kind of ability to, you know, zoom and crop and focus and change the tent and, and uh, all the rest. You, you, you just, without the images, it's hard to, to feel it, but yeah. it really is good. And then no, the, the last me. feature of it, the, the last big piece in the value prop is, I mean, you you remember this shift from film to digital, and all of a sudden you had sure. the, the cost factor fell out of the bottom. You didn't have to worry about film, and if you took a bad picture, so what? Yep. With this, people are able to learn very quickly. They can look at a picture that they really like, yeah. and they can go in through this remix engine, this editing engine, if you will, and see what the creator did to make it look that good. What kind of, you know, how did they use tint? How did they use HD? What did they do with cropping? You know, and it's a it's a great way 
for people to learn to express themselves better, although they don't think of it that way. They just think of it in terms of the emotional response to a cool image, but learn to express themselves better and uh, teach themselves based on what others have done. Do you have to have a high level of technical knowledge to use this? No. Uh, believe me. <laughs> Even <laughs> no. an idiot like me can do it, right? Well, I wouldn't. I would never call you an idiot, Bob. <laughs> I would be. I'd be the first to say I've got. Well, my 87-year-old mother-in-law okay. is using it, and you know she's oh, cool. out sending things to her to her uh, sisters and brothers who are still around, saying, "Look at this," and they're all they're all agog. Unfortunately, most of them are using Android phones right now, so we've got to get a version out for them. But it's, yeah, no, but it's it's easy to use. It's very easy to use. How long before and, and you get, learn? How long before you do get an Android version out? Uh, we're targeting to get something out before the end of the year. Um, that's you know we're we're pressing. We we're that's on our roadmap, and it's one of the next things we we absolutely have to do. We're, yeah. There's people banging on the door for it. Yeah, I, I believe it. I've been a I've been a uh, an Apple devotee for an awful long time, but I must admit I'm um, looking more and more enviously at the um, the Samsung large screen, and uh, I've been hanging out saying, any minute now Apple are going to bring out a large screen. And yesterday I got um, some advice from a colleague of mine uh, who says that Apple's having troubles with their large screen and uh, they may not have a large screen out this year. And if so, yeah. I'll be jumping ship. <laughs> well, they've definitely telegraphed that they're going to do it, but if they're having trouble, yeah, yeah. that's... Yeah, but I'm uh, I'm in the unenviable position right now. It, you know how it is for, for, uh, for entrepreneurs. I've got the iOS, the iPhone, that I'm carrying around and showing the world how this works and how cool it is. Yeah. But I've also got a uh, a Galaxy uh, oh. S S5 because I, I need to transmit to the team, hey guys, we need to get over onto Android. And at the same time, I really like that big screen. And I think the quality is is much better. Really? Um, you, you know, Bob, I have to work with Apple on a daily basis. I'm not sure I'm going to take a position there. <laughs> okay, so. Um, <laughs> oh, excuse me. So bucking the trend, um, social media, which is interactions such as Snapchat and Slingshot and, and those guys, yeah. what's what's your view of, of that trend and, and what effect is that going to have on the value proposition of you guys? You know, I think that's a market segmentation question and it's a uh, trend versus fad question. I, uh, I, I'm not – I think there's always going to be a place – uh, for especially given what happens with images that that people leave lying around for the take it it's there and it's gone right um, but uh, that's not what people if you look at the human response to pictures to images to videos whatever the the there is a desire a long, strong, long-term strong desire to be able to refeel, to relive um, events, and that requires persistence. 
Right. We we provide persistence. One of the technology areas that we have worked very hard to crack has to do with allowing that to be the case without causing storage to uh, you know multiply exponentially because the cost gets high. But um, you know, I, so I think I think that will always be there. I think there'll always be a place for that. But at the same time, I don't see it as a growing market. And I think there are ways to protect persistent content um, that obviates the need to destroy things or to make them go away immediately. Yeah. The part of your strategy is to provide Pink Zulu technology to um, consumer brands. How does that work? Ah, uh, yeah, that's a... That's an interesting one. Yeah, from an entrepreneurial perspective... You know, what what we're actually doing is we are going in and uh, some people would say it's white labeling, but we're actually co-branding with companies who want to have an app, who want an app that, that really generates uh, user involvement uh, from their customer base and that builds brand loyalty. So you look at, uh, actually, uh, we... Well, the first out of the gate was uh, Shimano in uh, the Australia fishing market. Um, And and these guys saw, you know, we can set up some of these groups, fly fishing group, freshwater fishing group, whatever, these different groups. We can cause people to, who are interested, to come and want to play there using our app. The app is Shimano Social Pick. Right. People can download it, and it's just like, all the other Pink Zulu apps. The difference is we give them some tools where they can curate content into into these main feeds that everybody can see. They can run contests. They can they can let the users, let their customers who have this degree of passion, work in in the, those areas. But those people are also part of the Pink Zulu ecosystem. Yeah. So if I'm a Shimano Social Pick user. I can see the public stories that other people have put out there. Right. Uh, it's and a if gr- I choose to participate, I can. It's a great way to interact with, with a brand. It's a great way to, yeah. to build the brand story. I can see that that would have tremendous impact for a brand. Um, and obviously to brand build brand loyalty extremely quickly, I would think. So what's the value proposition to brands? Well, give me an example. Well, if if you take someone like Shimano, yeah, they have the ability to go out, bring, uh, make the, it's available to their customer base. Their customers come in, they utilize it, they identify with Shimano. That's who who makes this available. We yeah. don't go out and make it. A, you know, if if we have com- companies A, B, and C all in the same industry, we we aren't following an arms dealer model. Right. We, A, B, or C gets it. We don't let all three have it. Sure. Um, and so it, it allows these people to use this highly emotive, highly engaging app that's identified with the brand. It, the, the brand loyalty generation, the ability to uh, cause your customers to express their passions around your brand, it's, it's, uh, it's powerful. Now, let me just get this straight. So, if I, if I, for example, um, 
are in the Shimano group, and and I'm yep. and we're fly fishing. So I get yep. I, I get my images and and begin the story, and I get that out to my friends and people that I want to get it out to. If in the Shimano instance, how does that? How do other people, even though they're inside the same brand, how do they get access to my? Story. Do I need to give them permission to come into my story, or the fact that we're all under um, Shimano? Uh, do we do we automatically share if, it? If, so you 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 are a consumer who's using Shimano Social Pick. Yes. You go on and go into the Social Pick app. You can go. You you will see the Shimano stories, the ones they've put up with, you know, the cool pictures, and you'll be able to. To, to look at them and take those pictures and remix them if you want. Right. But you can also create your own story. Yeah. You can create a story called fly fishing at, you know, Dunstan Creek or whatever. Right. Or, it's interesting with fishermen, though, because a lot of times they want to protect where their <laughs> fishing ground is. Right. But they also want to brag. And you can show your, you can post your images there. And you can decide who you want to see that. You can make it a public story right. where okay. anybody can see it. Gotcha. Or you can make it a private story. Gotcha. And and if you make it a public story, you can even at that level you can say, but here are the only people who are allowed to post pictures in there. Everybody else can just watch or okay. or come in and see the pictures. So Got you. Okay. High high degree of control. I'm with you. Um you mentioned before visual literacy for the planet. What do you mean by that? Just tell me about that. Yeah, this is what uh, everything we do is framed in, in terms of. And if you want to get a feeling for where we're going, that's the you know the vision really is the frame. Uh, it, it's our belief. And again, we've you know Jim Schreckengast, our CTO, and I spent a, a fair amount of time at Kodak and elsewhere in the in this space. We're we're rapidly, we're barreling into a future in which um, people are connected by and communicating through uh, an, an increasingly powerful visual shorthand. Right. Um, you know, you look around and what do you got? You, you have image capture devices everywhere, digital yep. cameras, mobile phones, tablets, glasses, all that. They're, yep. they're, they're ubiquitous. Um, and they're used constantly. A billion uploads a day according to the, the latest Internet Trends report. Yep. So, you know, we sit there and we say, we really need to figure out what's ultimately happening is people are going to want to create, interpret, and communicate meaning from information that's, that's visual, that's, in, that's an image. So it's, it's a literacy in that respect. Um, and we're saying, all right, let's let's... Let's drive that. Let's make something happen there, and let's make it available globally. Right. You've got people in you know all these different emerging markets in these in these in these uh, emerging countries and these in these uh, you know stable Western uh, geopolitical areas. They should all be able to communicate. They're all hooked. They yeah. all are able to take these pictures. Mm -hmm. uh, let's work out how to do this. And where we are right now. We've, we're giving today, the launch today gives people a creative sandbox that they can use and they can learn from and they can start to build the ability, this ability to converse through visual means. Yeah, that's great. Tony Engberg, 
Thank you very much for being on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. Now, if you'd like to know more about Pink Zulu, go to Pink, P-I-N-K, Zulu, Z-U-L-U, dot com. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on the Voice America Business Network, brought to you by the American Institute for Sales, Marketing and Management, and I'll be back with you after this short break. The American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management is one of the leading accreditation institutes in the world. Do you have the letters AISMM after your name? Do you have the AISMM accreditation certificate on your wall for your clients and colleagues to envy? Do you have the AISMM membership pin on your lapel? AISMM helps you do business. Join the American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management now. Go to AISMM.org. That's AISMM.org. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, No Bullshit Business Radio Show. And we're brought to you by the American Institute for Sales, Marketing, and Management on the Voice America Business Network. I apologize for my cold... It's, they're very hard to shake. Now, this is a segment where I answer emails from listeners all across the world, and, and it's really popular judging by the mail we receive. And I think the reason it's so popular is that most entrepreneurs that are sitting out there um, are product-based. You know, they're product-focused. They've um, worked on their product or their service, and they're not experts in business, and they're not experts in how to do a number of the administrative things and the uh, strategy things, and therefore um, they're hungry for knowledge. And, of course, early in the day, you can't afford to employ a whole bunch of people. So in a lot of ways, you're a one or a two or a three-man band, um, primarily focused on um, the product, but having to do all the other things that are equally as important, if not more important, to the success of the business. I've heard a lot of people say, um, that having a great product or a great service is only about 10% of the battle. So if you've got the world's best product, it's still only 10% of the battle. You've got 90% that is dependent on your business strategy, your business model. I see so many businesses that come to us for advice where the business model is wrong um, or needs improvement. And by that I mean... Um, I'll, get, I'll Try to think quickly of a of a simple example. Um, printers, a printers are a good one. Um, there was there was a couple of when printers first came out, desktop printers that you know reasonably inexpensive desktop printers came out. There was two business models. There was the HP model, where they sold you the printer at cost or even below cost, so it was really cheap to get the printer and then made the ink exorbitantly expensive so that, you know, you spend 100 bucks on the printer and you spend 5000 bucks on ink. Now, that's one business model. The other business model was the Kodak model where they charged you the full price for the printer 
whatever it was, um, and they had cheap ink. Now, logic would say to you that um, a printer, which only represents a fraction of the overall cost over a period of time, that was a bit more expensive, but where you saved 50% on your ink, would be the preferred business model for most people. However, it wasn't. People wanted the inexpensive printer that they could put on their desk and then they were quite happy to pay through the nose for ink. So they're two totally different business models and you need to make sure you pick the right one. Um, and so many um, startups um, and people that are product-focused um, get the business model wrong. So... Um, and also, there's a, there's a lot of work in, in all your um, regulatory, the, the regulatory commitments you have, the taxation commitments you have, all the other things that go with a business um, that uh, a lot of entrepreneurs really don't have much of a clue about. But um, So that's why one of the most important things when you um, start a business is to get yourself a really good attorney and a really good accountant. I mean, even the deal that you do with your fellow um, startuppers. So let's say there's two of you start up a business. You really need to go to a lawyer and get that agreement between you um, drawn up so that you have clear rules as to how you move forward and what happens if it breaks up. I mean, so many um, uh, businesses break up because of issues between founders that uh, even those little things, and they come to grief because they were product-focused and weren't focused on the actual running of the business. Now, my first email today is from Margaret Simpson from Montreal in Canada. And uh, Margaret says, Dear Bob, thank you very much for a great show. I love it. I listen to it when I get home after dinner, and I thoroughly enjoy it. I've learned so much from your program. It has really made a big difference to my work. Well, thanks for that, Margaret. Now, Margaret goes on to say, my question is simple, I guess. I am in sales, and while I do pretty well, I could always do better. Can you please advise me what questions I should ask in order to close a sales deal? Well, Margaret, thanks for your email. I absolutely love it when people tell me that the show's a benefit to them. I mean, that's the whole reason why I do it. Now, the first thing you need to determine um, is that you're speaking to the person who can make the decision. It's no use just wasting your time. Um, you need to build a good relationship with the people who make the decision. You need to clearly understand what their needs are and you need to match your offer to their needs. And if you don't do that, you're dead. Of course, you'll probably need to do demonstrations, trials, detailed proposals and other steps before you can ask for the business. But before you can get this point, you need to ask the following questions. Now, I'm running out of time, so I've got to do this quickly. One, what is their budget? Who, apart from themselves, will be involved in the decision-making process? What's the best way to include my value proposition to everybody involved in a decision-making process? What's the timeline for implementation? What's the timeline for making a decision? How will our solutions meet your needs? What other solutions have you considered? What factors would you base your decision on? Now, once you've got the answer to all of those then you'll always close the deal or you won't get the business at all. But um, if you answer all these, if you've got answers to all these questions and you're still not able to move the sale forward, at least you'll know why it's stalled. I hope this is assistance to you, Margaret. Please let me know how your sales are going armed with this information. Thank you for your email and your question. 
a copy of my international bestseller, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, will be sent to you tomorrow. I'm sure that you will really enjoy it. Well, that's the only email I have time for today. So don't forget, I want to hear from you. So visit my website at bobpritchard.com. Sign up for my newsletter. My new newsletter is just about to go out. Email me, tweet me, and tell me what it is that you want me to talk about. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show, brought to you by the American Institute for Sales, Marketing and Management. And remember, if you're not serious about if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come every week at the same time. This is Bob Pritchard on the Voice America Business Network. I hope you have a fantastic week, and I'll be back at the same time next week, hopefully without this dreaded cold. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.